May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. On December 31st, 2009, a very strange thing happened near BB, Arkansas. 5,000 red-winged blackbirds dropped out of the sky and died within a one-quarter mile piece of land scattered all across it. 5,000. State vets were called in. They did autopsies on, on scores of the birds. No signs of poison. There was some trauma from having dropped out of the sky, but um, no known storms were in the area. No reason why these birds should have dropped out of the sky and just simply died. They came up with some theories. Perhaps there were some fireworks, even though there were no fireworks in the area. Maybe, that, maybe they had a mid-air collision with something like a jet plane or something, but none of them had signs of being hit by a propeller or a jet engine or anything like that. Just simply dropped out of the sky, December 31st, 2009, and landed on the ground, died. New Year's Day, 2010, they were found. The same night, the very same night, a hundred miles away, a hundred thousand fish suddenly died, floated to the surface of, of a large lake. Same thing. Vets were called in, no poison, no reason why. Perhaps electricity hit the lake. They say something, something like that. 100 miles away, 5,000 birds, 100,000 fish, no explanation, but things get weirder still. Four days later, January the 4th, 2010, millions of fish, millions, die and float to the surface of the Chesapeake Bay. No reason. No poison, no, um, no explanation. Too large of a body of water for a lightning strike to cause millions of fish to die. Un unknown reason why millions of fish died. But here's where it is stranger still. On the very same day, January 4th, 2010, in Brazil and New Zealand, the same exact thing happened. Chesapeake Bay, Brazil, New Zealand, millions of fish die, float to the surface of the ocean, and there is no reason why they should have done so. The next day, January 5th, more than 50 birds fall out of the sky in Sweden. They're autopsied, no poison, no trauma from a mid-air collision, no known storms, fireworks. They just dropped out of the sky. Within five days, on four continents, hundreds and thousands, even millions of wildlife die for no apparent reason. And to this day, so far as I know, Still, no explanation for why all these um, species of wildlife just suddenly died. This is not the part in the sermon where I give you the Bible code <laughs> or the end of the times. That's later in the sermon. But um, <laughs> it does sort of weird me out, though. I just got to be honest with you. But there are other things that weird me out. There are other natural phenomenon that also I find just out of my zone, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to quantify or, uh, or classify these. How do I categorize in my mind certain things? In 1821, there are numerous reports of a Scottish stonemason named David Virtue who was carving out a grinding stone from a piece of limestone. So he has this large chunk of limestone. And from this large chunk of limestone, he's chiseling out a grinding stone to go in a mill. 
If you don't know what this is, well, you need to read. Okay, so he's got this big millstone, and he's carving it out out of a large piece of limestone. And as he's cutting it, he, there he finds a little pocket, a little pocket, a little divot in the limestone. And inside this little pocket is this little, small, like three-inch long um, lizard. Not the skeletons, but a perfectly intact skin, everything, little salamander-like lizard in this little pocket of stone. If you know anything about geology, it takes millions of years to create layers of stone. In this pocket, in this limestone, a little salamander-like lizard. There are many reports. 1821, I didn't see it, so I have to believe what was happening at the time. The report is, is that Mr. Virtue reached down to pick up this lizard, and it sprang to life, jumped out, and ran. And I guess they caught it, I don't know how, but, you know, and, and so there are many of these newspaper reports. If you think it's weird, 1865, Hartlepool Free Press in Hartlepool, England, um, a, a man was, uh, uh, there was a team of men, I guess, that were excavating a large limestone quarry in 25 feet below the surface of the earth, hewn a huge stone, a part of a magnesium limestone. They uncover, in the middle of this, another little pocket, and inside was a toe that sprang to life and jumped out. How it got in there, how long it had been there, nobody knows, but in the middle of this stone, a toad. A little closer to home, 1976, Fort Worth, Texas. Some concrete was laid. A year later, it had to be taken down and destroyed. So it had been there a year. Concrete. As they're tearing apart the concrete, they found a little pocket, and inside this little pocket, a green turtle. Alive. It had to have been there a year. Now here's where the story gets really sad. The turtle died three days later. He managed to live a year in concrete, but dies three days later. That's just free. It doesn't cost you any extra. We live in a world that we simply do not understand. I think we think we do. I mean, I think that there are people who think they do. There are people who wear, you know, I don't know, bow ties, white lab collar coats. I mean, you know, who are in prestigious universities who tell us that they know everything. And, and they seem like they do. I mean, they're really smart people. But there are things that we simply do not understand. Just a little bit of anecdotal evidence here. About eight years ago, I don't know if, if Nicholas will remember this, but my son Nicholas and I were driving um, from a church service that I did in the evening service one time out in rural uh, Pickaway County, Ohio. Okay, I drug him with me. He had to go. It was like a teen service or something like that. And I was the speaker, so I took him with me. And we were driving back, and it was, it was in the evening about 8 o'clock when we were heading home. It was in summer. The sun was starting to set, but it's still daylight out, uh, kind of dusk. And, and we're driving. It had been a long day for me. I worked all day at the, at the university, and then I preached in the evening. Long, long day. And um, I'm driving back, and we're just not talking. We're just kind of listening to the radio, whatever. And I see this bright green, bluish light. It looked like about the size of, um, I don't know, um, like, a, like a large, like, I don't know how I know this, but a large Pilates ball, <laughs> okay? It looked like, don't ask me, all right? Um, and so it, it looked like this big ball, and it, it, just, it was about 100 yards away from me, and it was on one side of the road in the air, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe 100 feet up, so 10 stories. And it just shot across from one side to the other and disappeared. I thought I was having a, like a stroke um, or, 
you know, my latest brain tumor was appearing. I don't know. I, I had a, 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 it had been a long day, so I just didn't say anything. I thought I was just under too much stress. I don't know if Nicholas remembers this, but he says to me, Dad, did you just see that? Thank you very much. You know, I felt, I felt so relieved. I still don't know what it was. I'm sure there's some explanation for a green, bluish-like light that flies across the middle of the sky for about 100 yards and disappears. But to this day, I don't know what it was. Because we live in a world that I don't really understand. And I think at times, if you admitted it, you don't either. There are some things that we think we've got figured out. We know a whole lot. Somehow we were able to put a human being on the moon. We have a remote control car on Mars. I can't get a remote control car at 1472 Amboy Drive, but somehow we got one all the way to Mars. We have aircraft carriers. We've built aircraft carriers larger than the Empire State Building. That's, I mean, that's enormous. We can land airplanes in the ocean on a boat larger than the Empire State. And that's a, have you seen the A380 Airbus airplane? It is 230 feet long and has a wingspan of 261 feet. From the ground to the top, more than eight stories in the air. This thing is, a, I mean, it is enormous. And it flies in the air. I don't know how that happens. But some really smart people figured out a lot about our world and have been able to make these things take place. But explaining how a salamander could live in limestone or a toad or, or a turtle, I don't know. And I think that some of these mysteries simply lack explanation in a sort of human scientific way. But none of those things really bother me. None of them bother me at all, really. I, I kind of enjoy them. I think it's fascinating. I, I live for stuff like this. Do you know what bothers me? What, what sort of mystery really intrigues me? And I feel like maybe you probably share this as well. Why is it that God sometimes answers some prayers and doesn't answer others? Why is it that sometimes prayers are answered in exactly the way we pray them? Oh, Lord, if only this could happen. And it happens exactly as we prayed it would. And other times where we prayed and prayed and prayed, and just the opposite has happened. Not exactly at all like what we wanted. We, we have these, these struggles with the enigmatic nature of God. Why does He answer some prayers and not others? In today's Gospel lesson, there's this story of Jesus and his friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. Remember it from just a, a few weeks ago when, um, when we had a, a funeral mass for our dear friend Jim Gosser. This story about Jesus who goes to visit, uh, or he, he's called upon to visit um, his friend Lazarus while he's ill. Remember, Jesus is a very tight friendship with this. He, the text says he loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. He loved them. And I know that we think, well, he loves everybody. You know, Jesus loves the little children. I mean, we, he loves everybody. Who doesn't he love? Well, not like that sort of love, like family sort of love. Deep friendship sort of love. Uh, Mary is the one who... who uh, clean Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. They were, they were very, very tight. Jesus speaks of Lazarus as our friend Lazarus. Philos, our brother, our beloved friend. These are, it's a very tight 
group. I, I mean, I don't know. It's not in the text. But Jesus is very much a real person. I imagine that he spent a lot of time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The sort of people that you stay up late with. You know, drink wine and tell funny stories. Laugh and cry and debate. Do all the sort of things you do with friends. And so, here's the sticky part. Jesus is called upon. Your friend Lazarus, the one that you love, is ill. He's about to die. He's sick unto death. When you get that sort of call about your friend, what do you do? Let me just tell you. I remembered an incident this week. It happened several years ago. Where I got a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, 3 o'clock in the morning about a person who was ill and there was uh, some mystery about how you know what's going on with them. It was a person in my parish. I jumped up and had clothes on. I was in my Cincinnati Red pajamas, you know, and I was I was nice and toasty in bed at 3 a.m. And, and I was sound asleep and out of my bed, dressed in clothes, brushed my teeth, I don't know why, because I didn't want to go smelling stinky at 3 a.m., and, and was across town to a hospital in eight minutes. That's what you do. Even when it's somebody, you know... That's not a dear friend or just somebody that you know and care about. This is somebody that Jesus loves. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this verse 5, verse 6 obviously says, So immediately upon hearing about Lazarus' illness, he rushed to his side. I could write it, couldn't you? Except that's not what it says, is it? So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This isn't the protocol. This is not what you're supposed to do. There were people who went all the way from Jerusalem to Lazarus' side to meet with him. And Jesus remains two days longer. And you know, this isn't me, just a jaded, cynical person looking at a text and saying, come on, you could do better. I mean... I'm not jaded or cynical, only sometimes when I watch like the news. But most of the time, I, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty uh, charitable. And I look at this text. Listen, listen to what Martha says, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Ran out the door. She heard. She, she throws open the door, runs out to meet him, right? Mary remains seated in the house. Presumably Mary heard too. She had a different reaction to Jesus' not coming. Martha ran out, and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, eventually, ten verses later, when Jesus arrives, she eventually comes out of the house. Not until he arrives. Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said to him, verbatim, word for word, where her sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The big difference between calling Joe Boisel at 3 o'clock in the morning and calling Jesus at 3 o'clock in the morning would be that Jesus could actually do something. I could call the ambulance, you know what I mean? But uh, after that, I'm done. You know, I've, I've got prayers. I've, I've got scripture. I've, that's what I've got. He could do something about it, and he stays two days longer in the place where he was. You know, don't get up. <laughs> As my wife says to me, she comes in carrying groceries and I'm watching television. And she's, no, Joe, don't get up. I mean, I got it all by myself. Oh, oh, did you need my help? 
Just stay right there. I think if there was anyone that Jesus wanted impulsively to rush to help, if there's any person that he would have known in his circle of friends that he would have been more inclined to rush towards, I don't know who it would have been. It was Lazarus. This is the one person he would want to go to. So here's my point. His delay should not be interpreted as apathy and certainly not as antipathy. His delay is not apathy. In fact, when he gets there, what does he do? The shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept exploded in tears is the Greek word. That he sobbed when he saw the people gathered around this funeral scene. He burst into uncontrollable tears and sobs of agony. I don't know what this passage says to you, but here's what it says to me. That insofar as Jesus reveals the Father, as John says over and over and over again, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says. Insofar as Jesus reveals the Father, it reveals to us a Creator God who is not unmoved by our pain. Who enters into it with us. God does not always act in the way or in the timing in which we would rather Him do so. He does not. But unanswered prayers are not ignored ones. The answer no is an answer to a prayer. It is gross immaturity to think that just because a prayer doesn't get answered in the way that we think it should or ought to or when, that somehow it is an act of antipathy towards us. Just because God says no doesn't mean that we're unloved. This is what a child thinks, right? This is what a child says to her father when she says, Oh, you know, I want this dress. And he says no. Or this car or this telephone. And he says no. It's not, it's not a lack of love that drives a parent to say no. Sometimes one of the most loving things that can be said to someone is no, or not yet. And so the, the answer to the, 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 the non-answered prayer, the mature answer is, I don't understand this, but okay. I accept it. That's a mature answer. I mean, I know this is... And and I'm not saying that sometimes when you've said that, that that being immature is somehow vile. I've been immature. I I am still immature. There is still going to be a time in the future where I'm pounding, Hey, hello. This isn't the answer I was looking for. You know what I wanted. You know this is not what I wanted. But what this passage says to me is that you and me Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We matter to God. He cares about us. He cares about our hurts and our pains. And even if He doesn't save the day, this day, it doesn't mean He's not going to. There's going to be a crisis. There are going to be crises. (laughs) Multiple crises. Yes, there will be multiple crises. You're going to have times of struggle, not just now, but in the future. And times of great joy. But remember the end of this story. This story ends in a miracle. The dead is alive again. As if to say, whatever sort of issue that really comes is not the final word. It's not the end of the day. Know this. That some things that are inexplicable today will someday have an answer.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.